Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast. Thank you for listening. My name is Neil Mackay. I'm your host. Now, today my guest is a comedian, an event planner, a mother, and also a self-described boss-ass bitch. If you haven't guessed already by that description, my guest today is Angie the Diva. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So you're a self-described boss-ass bitch. Why? Because um, I am in charge and uh, I do a lot of stuff in the city. I've always done a lot of stuff everywhere I've lived. I'm always sort of in managerial roles and things like that. Um, And of course, as a woman, and especially as a Black woman, people are like, she's such a bitch. But it's like, you can call me that. However, please call me uh, that bitch that you paid. (laughs) You can call me... um, that bitch who's running things, you can call me your boss ass bitch and actually just do what I told you to do. So you're taking ownership? Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's also, good. on my business cards, it's just really catchy. Oh, it's on your business cards. It card. is on my business cards. People love it. They, and they remember. It's, remem- it's memorable. How long have you been in Saigon now? I've been in Saigon for uh, a little more than two and a half years. Um, I actually first came to Vietnam. I lived in Vung Tau uh, for five months, which I absolutely hated. 
Um, Why is that? It's, it's so small. Um, there's not a whole lot to do there. And the beaches are trash. So I was like coming from Maui to there. I was just like this. This is like a smaller version of Maui, but without the beaches. Why am I here? Um, and then like why uh, have you left Hawaii, which is this? I've never been, but I can have seen videos, pictures, movies, this paradise to come to Vunta. Hawaii is beautiful. Maui is exceptional. Um, the people are amazing and the culture is wonderful. But it's expensive, so, so, so expensive. Um, when I left, my rent was about $1,900 US for a very crappy two-bedroom apartment with nothing in it. Um, I was working like 60-plus hours a week um, and still living below the poverty line. So that's, that can give you like a picture of, of what it is. And I was, I was, I'm a certified teacher, so I was teaching public education. I had two part-time jobs after I would get off of my public education job. And I still was not able to make ends meet for myself and my two kids. But that's common in America. Like that's a crisis right now in America. Like it's really common for educators, teachers to have two, three jobs and still not be able to make ends meet and be buying supplies and things like that for the classroom, right? Absolutely. It is a major problem. Um, the education system in the U.S. is trash. <laughs> to be really blunt, it's trash. Um, but there are a ton of very hardworking and passionate teachers who are trying to do their absolute best to educate um, the youth. And they just don't have the support. And quite frankly, they don't have the respect that educators should have. So um, I just was like, enough is enough. Um, I'm not really enjoying my job. I don't, I didn't really agree with the structure of education there. Um, and actually what happened was, um, I was teaching preschool where my son was going to preschool and we were at school from like seven o'clock in the morning until five thirty, six thirty, seven at night. And one day he was, he came to me at like five thirty-six. He was in tears. He was like, mom, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. And I had a ton of things still to do. And I had to go to my other job. And I was just like, this can't be my life forever. There has to be something better. Um, and so I started researching and trying to figure out like what I could do as a single parent, um, as a teacher, with the skills that I had, um, where can I go? What can I do? Um, and the first option was to go to the like the continental U.S. Um, I had some friends in Seattle. Turns out Seattle is almost as expensive as Hawaii. But is Hawaii more expensive than continental U.S. generally? Um, it is about the same as New York, L.A. Um, it's, it's about there. Yeah. Uh, the price of land and property is, is very exuberant, and the wages do not add up to what you need to survive. So um, I started researching how I could get out of the U.S. Um, after it became clear that no matter where I lived in the U.S., it was going to be pretty much the same issue. Um, and I came across this woman's blog. Uh, her name is Tanae Bernard. Um, she runs um, 
a Facebook group and a blog, and she's a she was a single mother of three, and she was teaching in um, the UAE and making a really good salary and able to save enough money to take her kids around. And I was like, okay, I'm a teacher. I could do that. Um, so I contacted a few companies and then I got an interview for a job in Abu Dhabi. Didn't get the job, but I was already in the mindset, like I'm leaving. Um, so I just saved up a few thousand dollars. Like I left the States with $3,000 and maybe like another five grand on credit cards. Um, and at the time my mom did not know that. (laughs) And I left with what, what most Americans or most Westerners would think is not enough. Um, and the decision between this decision was between Southeast Asia and South America because the cost of living on paper is about the same. Um, the tickets to Southeast Asia were fifty dollars cheaper. So we started in Bali. Uh, we left in August of 2016. We being you and your kids. Me and my two kids. Uh, we started in Bali. We stayed there a month. We went to East Java for about two and a half weeks. Um, and then we went back to Bali for two more weeks. Then we went to Malaysia, Thailand, um, back to Malaysia, Singapore, back to Thailand, to Cambodia, and back to Malaysia. On um, three grand. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, uh, yeah, pretty much. Like, I had... A little bit of cash here and there that I would make. Um, My mom sent like, you know, a couple hundred bucks here or there. But uh, yeah, basically we did we did a few workaways. So that that was like uh, two weeks to a month at a time where we didn't have uh, accommodation or food costs. So that helped a lot. Um, What a cool experience for your kids. Yeah, (laughs) it was it was it is still the best decision I've ever made. The best decision I've ever made. To give my kids that experience and coming from an island where there's not a whole lot going on. They don't, there are no real museums there. There's no theater. There's no concerts. There's, you know, there's no cultural elements at all. Um, There's no bowling. There's no ice skating. There's no, like, there's no, there's no, there's no. So if you're not, yeah, if you're not into water sports, or hiking, there's not like a ton for you to do there. You have to leave the island and it's super expensive to leave. So, um, I mean, you know, like for a single person paying 200, 300, 400 for a round trip ticket is one thing. But when you've got two little people who have no income and you have to pay for them as well, that become that, you know, two or $300 trip becomes a grand. And that's, that's insurmountable for most people. So um, when we got to Asia, I was able to give them so many first experiences. Like I remember taking them bowling for the first time and they were, and I mean, bowling is cheap everywhere. Like it was just, it was pennies, but they were so stoked to like roll the ball into the gutter every single time. <laughs> like they were talking trash to you each other. You didn't put all the inflatable things in the gutter. No way, man. I got to prepare my kids for real life. <laughs> there are no bumpers in real life. And I beat them at bowling and it felt good. 
Um, so to give my kids so many first experiences was amazing. Um, and I will have that forever. That is something that they will have forever. Um, now they're back in the U.S. with their dad. They went back in January. And it's been, it's been interesting. It's been like, you know, a really nice journey um, to have, to have done so many things with my kids and have those memories. But now they go back and I hear them talking to their friends and they sound so fucking bougie. (laughs) They sound so bougie. They're just like, oh, do you remember when we were in Bali and we did that? Do you remember when we were in Malaysia and we did that? They just sound like those kids that don't have friends. So I think it would be, I think in the long term, it will have been a fantastic experience for them. They definitely are much more independent than their other friends. They're, they're problem solvers. Um, they know how to learn by themselves. Um, they know how to get through an airport, through immigration, with no problems at all. They know the exchange rates of like five or six countries, and they understand what that process is, that like American dollars are not everything. They understand that America is not everything, which is a huge lesson. It's, I mean, I've, I know a lot of Americans. As you know, my wife is American, and that is a huge thing for many Americans when they leave, and they're like, oh, America's not the center of the world? Like your face right now, no one can see. You're like, yeah. You're like, Americans are very trained, brainwashed propaganda, whatever you want to call it, within America to think that it's only America and that number one. yeah. I thought when I came to Asia that Asia was just like a whole thing, like one package. This is Asia. And living in Hawaii, you have a lot of Asian cultures, um, uh, cultural influences. Like there's a, there's a lot of Japanese and Chinese and Filipino um, and a lot of other cultures as well. So because everything is kind of mashed up there, I just thought like Asia is one whole thing. And then I got here and I was like, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot of different stuff going on here. Like even, even within Indonesia in our first stop, Balinese Indonesians and Javan, Javanese Indonesians are completely different in every way. Their food, the, the way they look, their, their music, um, their like traditional costume, their religion, like everything is completely different. Their dialects and the way they talk. And then to travel throughout Southeast Asia and see it time and time and time again. I mean, of course, eventually, like I started to appreciate the differences and notice the differences. And, and I like, I love to see, to meet new people and think like, oh, I wonder where they're from and try to guess. Um, but yeah, that was a huge like, <sighs> like mind blow for me like wait a minute they're not all the same they at all like not even close vietnam is still a place all its own vietnam is completely different than all of those other cultures all those other cultures all of those other countries and i love it uh, yeah i mean it's such a unique place and i i spoke to someone about this recently about how vietnam is just you, you, people can lump in Asia as one, and then you come here and you know you've learned very quickly. It's all different. Vietnam though is very different. So, how long were you away in total before you got to Vietnam? Uh, about eight and a half months. 
And we so what were your kids doing for schooling then? My kids unschooled, which is very interesting. Unschooled. Unschooled. It's different than homeschooling. Homeschooling generally is school at home. So you still have textbooks, you still have tests, you still have benchmarks that you need to meet and all of that. Um, to varying degrees, you do have a lot more flexibility than you do in the public school system. But it's still basically school at home. And, and some people even structure it like school. So there's you know set times for math and set times for reading. But we didn't do that. We unschooled. So I have a bachelor's degree in elementary education. I taught pre-K, first grade, uh, pre-K, kindergarten, and first grade uh, for three and a half years. And then I substitute taught um, from kindergarten all the way through high school for about another year and a half. Um, so I got to see, and before I became a teacher, I worked in the after-school programs with um, kindergarten through fifth grade for seven, eight, nine years or so, like a pretty long time. So I got to experience the, the educational system on a spectrum and see it go through so many changes and, and so many curriculums and all of that. The thing that is, in my opinion, problematic about the school system, though, is there is a large emphasis on testing. And it's just preparing for the test and getting ready for the next test and reflecting on the last test that we took and we're about to take another test. But the kids don't learn real-world applications for the information that they're learning. Uh, They're not learning it in a way that helps them retain that information. And if you don't, if you're not a person who has a great memory, who is very good at, you know, rote learning facts, um, who's not a person, if you're not a person who can sit for hours at a time and really focus, and I'm not that person, um, I was when I was in school, you know, I was valedictorian and all of that stuff, uh, which matters nothing in your adult life. But um, if you're not that kid, then school becomes very difficult for you. And what is the point of education anyway? The point of education is to give you information and knowledge and skills that you can take into your adult life and beyond. Um, Children should be practicing for adulthood, in my opinion. So... I did a bunch of research on it. It's not just like, I was just like, oh, we're going to be hippies out in the world and not learn about anything. It, was, it wasn't like that. Um, I did a lot of research on it. I looked at a bunch of different models. I looked at um, the cost of ta- having textbooks and things like that. When we left, I really wanted to go minimalist and green. So textbooks were out of the question. Carrying around a bunch of paper was not a thing. Um, But I came across this philosophy of unschooling, which I explain to people as the way adults learn. If you want to know something, you go and research it. You Google it. You find a class. You go and talk to an expert. You figure it out. And that's how my kids learn. Whatever they were interested in, we went and talked to someone. We researched it. We found people who knew what that was about, and they took classes or they did, um, you know, like little apprenticeships 
or we did online stuff. Um, it, and it was much more meaningful. And we didn't waste a lot of time doing things that are unnecessary. I am still in my adult life waiting to use the circumference of a circle. That's taking up space in my brain, and I never have to use that information. My idea with my kids, though, is that I want them to have a childhood that they don't have to unlearn. I want them to start pursuing their dreams and their interests now and spend their time doing that. If you're going to be an engineer, you can learn those math formulas. Google is this thing that has all of the information. It's really cool. You guys should check it out. It's for free. I didn't have to spend $60,000 in student loan debt to learn that information. So if my kid wants to be an engineer, if he decides that that's what he wants to do when he grows up, fine. He can learn that information later. Right now, the information that is more important, in my opinion, is learning how to talk to people on a humane level, learning how to manage your finances on a basic level, um, learning how to get through immigration without problems. Like knowing the the exchange rates of of different countries, and those practical skills translate to other things that we have to learn in school. Um, for example, if you know how to how to calculate the exchange rates of different countries, that is multiplication and addition at a very high level, actually. Who um, struggle with that? Yo, <laughs> seriously. Um, and that's what people don't realize is that we are learning all of the time if you are paying attention. And so this way of schooling, unschooling was, um, it required more thought on my part on the day to day. I did have to ask those questions. I did have to be more patient with them and allow them to explore it, you know, by themselves. It's not a free flow, like it's not a free for all sort of thing. I did require them to do reading whatever you want but you have to read every single day. They did have to write every single day about whatever they want. Um, and they had, you know, different things that they needed to do. Uh, the really cool part about it was all of the cool people that I know um, would give them classes. Like my daughter's really into art. So she got a class from Adam Palmer. She got a class from Mariano. Guillermo, um, I hope I'm saying your name right. Uh, she got a class from a traditional Balinese artist when we were in Bali and, and I've run into these people and, you know, I'm able to give her those experiences. If that's what you're into, let's explore that. My son is really into animals, um, and animal sciences. So I got, we, you know, every time you go to like a, a, a sanctuary or something like that, you can pay a little extra to have the like personal guide. That you can ask questions and stuff. And that is the best thing I've ever found out because my son asked me a billion questions a day about animals and I'm like, Google it. And now there's this person that I've paid to answer all of those questions for him. It feels really posh. <laughs> it feels really nice to like hire a person to be like your personal tutor for your kid. Um, but also he could talk to them for two hours and I didn't have to. That was great. And so what did your kid's dad think of this? And how did he handle you taking them away for eight months? So unfortunately, for about five years, my kid's dad had zero contact with oh, us. Okay. Um, about 
two years before we left and um, all the way up until um, December of 2018. So the good thing about that, I mean, that's obviously not ideal. Um, We just had a complete breakdown of communication in our relationship and he was doing his thing and I was doing mine. And in the long run, it actually was a good thing. Um, the best part about it from my perspective when it was happening was I didn't need to ask anyone's permission to do anything with my kids. I just could go and do and see, and I didn't need anyone's approval or disapproval. Um, and now that he's he's back in their lives and, and my kids are with him now, um, he thinks that it's super cool. And it actually has uh, sort of inspired him to, to travel himself. And there's plans for them to come out here. And um, it's, it's a really good situation right now. But he thinks it's super cool. Are they in regular school now back in Hawaii? They are. How are they handling that then? They don't love it. <laughs> You've spoiled them. I've spoiled them. <laughs> They're like, I want to be in Bali getting yeah. taught by a um, traditional Balinese person. Right. Teacher, I'm not painting this. Yeah. Um, they, they learned so many skills that I didn't realize they were learning. Um, my kids are super independent. They just go and do whatever they want. And, you know, if you're schooling at home, like, you don't have to ask the teacher's permission to go to the bathroom. And, you know, if you feel hungry, you just go and make yourself something to eat. Um, so they don't love that part about school. They're like, there's so many rules and they, they, I have to get up so early and we have to be there all day. Um, they don't let us take naps and I can't watch TV. <laughs> so they don't, I mean, they have the same complaints that every kid has about school. Um, the good thing about it, though, was all of the people that were like, you have no idea what you're doing. Your kids should be in school and you're ruining their lives and you're messing them up. They went back and they dropped back into school and they are fine. My kid, my, the older one is going to AP classes now um, or advanced level classes. I don't know what they call them in intermediate school. Um, she's going to advanced level classes, which, which in her opinion are bullshit. Like she's like, this is stupid. I don't know why I need to like work harder at school and this isn't even what I want to do. So I've given them sort of, I've, I've made them kind of into those kids who are the teacher's worst nightmare because they're like, why do I need to know this? I'm never going to use this. But on the other hand, they are very capable. Um, unschooling does work. Actually, if you do it well, um, kids can learn. They're capable of learning pretty much by themselves. I mean, with guidance, but they don't need the structure of school and you don't need to spend so much time learning stuff that you're never ever going to use. If that's not your passion and that's not your goal in life, you really don't need it. And I'm the biggest supporter of not going to college, which is very controversial in my family. I was the first person in my family to go to college. And I have a degree that is costing me still $60,000. and I, I will never use it again in my life, I'm pretty sure. There's a lot of structures that are outdated that haven't caught up with society, right? So you mentioned before about like YouTubers and 
sitting in school for however many hours a day in a classroom with 30 kids, going to a job Monday to Friday, 8 to 5, 9 to 5. Like, why? Why do we need to be at a job for 40 hours, like, from Monday to Friday? Like, it's just so strange. And I don't know when we're catching up. You know, there's loads of reports now about companies moving to four-day weeks and things like that, which I think we're going to move there slowly. Things like unschooling or Montessori Montessori? Montessori school. Montessori school. Yeah. Um, but again, I think most things are just changing too slowly, right? But these models are just so outdated and don't reflect current society, thinking, technology. And um, I don't really know where I'm going with that. But Agreed. <laughs> you know, so but so what your kids are feeling right now, I guess. They feel um I mean the the hardest part about it is being away from them. I I had my kids with me for eleven and a half years every single day of their lives almost. I I put them to bed, I fed them, I bathed them, I watched them grow up, and I got to experience those things by myself. I have those memories by myself. Um, unfortunately, their dad missed, you know, a good chunk of that. So, and and my, you know, my their grandmother and my other family, they missed chunks of it as well because we were out here by themselves, by ourselves. In a way that does seem a bit selfish. Um, the other side of it is I gave them these experiences that are amazing. And to have done it, I've been told to have done it as a single parent is somehow amazing. Um, it's really not that hard, people, but somehow it's amazing. I think it's just more of setting your mindset to do it. But they've been back in America for 10 months now, and you haven't seen them since then. I have. Oh, you have? Yeah. Uh, I went back in August, and I was there for three weeks. Um, it was nice seeing them. It was weird being on the other side of it, like being a visitor in their lives was really weird. Um, you know, having to schedule my visits with them around their activities was really weird. How's it now being away from your kids? It's not great. I mean, it's, it's good. I have, I have this freedom that I've never had in my whole entire life. I've never, I have never lived by myself ever. Wow. Ever in my life, I was with my, you know, living with my mom and my brother and stuff. And then um, had a roommate in college. And then I have my kids. And and now I have roommates. I've never lived by myself, ever. Um, save for like a couple of months here and there. But I do have like adult roommates now. <laughs> and we do adult things. And that's interesting. Um, but I don't get to talk to them as often as I would because of the time difference. Um, I don't get to see their day-to-day lives. I'm not, you know, a big part of that as much as I had been in the past. Being a mom, there are so many ideas and people have so many, um, so many things that this is what a mom means. And I've never been that kind of mom anyway. Like, I've never been the Pinterest mom. I've never been the lady who, like, bakes cookies. And and to be really honest, I've never been the type of mom who's wanted to be around my kids 24-7. Like, they need their time. I need my time. I'm okay with my kids 
spending time with other people. And I think it's actually really necessary. They need other perspectives than just mine to be well-rounded people. But now to have sent my kids back to their dad, I had them every day for 11 and a half years. And he lost contact for five years. Fine. So somehow it's acceptable that mom is taking care of the kids and the dad is not. That's fine. But when it's the other way around, and I'm, I'm not like zero contact with my kids, of course. I see them and I talk to them and, you know, we have conversations or whatever. But because I am not there 24-7 with my kids, somehow I'm a bad mom. It, this 10-month period has completely negated in a lot of people's minds everything that I've done the last 11 and a half years. I can't have a career because I'm a mom. I can't travel because I am a mom. I can't spend my money. I can't have dreams and hopes and goals because I am a mom. And it is completely unfair and unjust. Why can't also their dad take care of them? Why can't he be a nurturer? Why can't he spend most of the time with them and I get to, you know, do the summers and the weekends thing? Like, why? So that's been a real point of contention with people in my family and some friends. Um, And I've basically had to be like, this is my life. I love my kids and I know what I'm doing and I know that I've invested time and energy into them and it's okay. And that is a huge lesson for me to be learning right now because what I want to do with my career, honestly, they can't be there for that. They can't be up and going and traveling. You know, sometimes I'm gone for six weeks at a time. They, that's not okay. Like they can't do that with me and they can't be in the bars and, you know, in the clubs and stuff like that. So for them to be able to reconnect with their dad right now and have that stability and, you know, that he just bought a new house and all of that stuff for them to have that experience is really good for them. And at the end of the day, it's like, I could listen to what other people think about me and do that. And I could be miserable. Or I could live my life in a way that makes me happy and blissful in a way that's healthy and supportive for my kids and pretty much tell everybody else, F you, I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And that's, that's what I'm doing. It's working really well. Well, this leads into um, one of my major questions I wanted to ask you. Um, from watching your stand-up, many people have the perception, and I don't know, we've talked about this previously, they have the perception that you hate your kids. Because you see when you're on stage that you hate your kids. Now, I've seen you do that stand-up, and it can be confronting. You kind of watch it, and you, you, some of the stories you tell, and you're kind of like, oh, like that. you don't sound like a good mom right now. And I know you're doing that on purpose. I know you're not doing it like, you know, by mistake. But how does that... And I know you love your kids, and obviously we've just heard you talk about how much you love your kids, and so that's obvious. But how do you then reconcile that with this on-stage persona that you've got that, and I know you've told me in the past, and I know people have said to me that it puts them off because they think like, oh, she's a shitty mom. How, like, how do you reconcile that? They're just jokes, people. <laughs> it's just jokes. Um, that's, that's kind of going back to what I was just saying about it's all right for dad to be that way, but it's not okay for mom to be that way. And a lot of my comedy is 
confrontational and in your face. It makes people think like, and I, I, I know what I look like when I walk on stage. It's all planned and calculated. I know what I look like when I walk on stage. One of the things that, that uh, people said to me like a long time ago when I just started comedy was, you can't be cute and on stage. You can't look like very feminine and be on stage and people won't take you seriously. Okay, let's deconstruct that. You can't be, um, you know, a cookie cutter mom and tell these jokes about your kids and everybody's going to be okay with it. Okay, let's confront that and deconstruct that. Because the reality of the situation is most parents have moments with their children almost daily where they do not like them. They're awful little people sometimes. And within mommy groups and with other parents, we talk about those things and you vent to them and, and you love your kids. You really do. Um, you're not neglectful. I'm not a neglectful parent. And, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, hit my kids and things like that. But you do have these moments and you have them with your job and you have them with your spouse and you have them with, so you with take, your job. You take a moment which is based in reality on stage, you make it an absolute. And I guess then when someone's listening to that, and you're describing it as an absolute, they think, oh, she's a terrible mom. Absolutely. People, people can have a perception of me, um, but you don't know the real me. You don't know what I'm doing really in my real life. And if you are stupid enough to believe that the things that fall out of my mouth on stage are absolute truths, then we have bigger problems than whether I'm a bad mom or not. Well, I want you to clear something up for me because maybe I'm one of these people. I hope to God this is not true, but one of your bits you talk about when you take drugs, come home, go for a run, come back, and then your kids are holding a spoon under your nose. That is untrue. Okay, good, good. But I was not sure, you know, I'm pretty sure like 99% that's probably not true, but then you're like, yeah. But maybe it is. And then if that is true, then yeah, she's a shitty mom. Yeah. No, um, my jokes are based in reality, right? But then my warped comedic mind changes them into something else. Because if I just stood up on stage and told you stories about my life, they wouldn't be very funny. Um, my day-to-day, you know, as a mom or as a, a teacher or as, you know, just a person walking around Saigon, it's really not that interesting. But that is the art of comedy, right? You, you take something that is mundane for most people and you see it in a weird way and you add some stuff to it and now it's a whole, it's a whole five minutes. And that bit that you're talking about where I took some drugs and, um, and then I go and see my... Like, I don't do that. I don't take drugs and go see my kids. I do my drugs in private. When they have a babysitter, <laughs> like a good mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, you know, um, obviously we both know JK, first ever guest on 7 Million Bikes, and he hates it because especially when I first met him, all I kept asking after every show was like, did that really happen? Is that a true story? And I don't ask that anymore because I think I bugged enough comedians asking. Cause, but the thing is, Nine out of ten times, they will say, yeah, no, that's a completely yeah. true story. So that's when you do that, a story like that on stage, you think, like, it's probably not true, but a lot of comedian stories yeah. are true. So I think that's maybe the, why people that do watch maybe would take it at face value. For me, personally, comedy is 
I say my, my jokes are probably 75% true. Those things are based in reality. They have happened. They are experiences in my own life. Um, but every, every person's reality, what we perceive as reality, is colored by how you react to things and other people's reactions to it. And, um, you know, like, like your memories of your past experiences and it all sort of mixes together into this weird soup of reality. And then every time you retell that story, it changes a little bit. There's, there's something else that's inserted in there that actually may not have happened. Um, and so the art of comedy is, is being able to orchestrate those changes to say, that's a bit too much. Actually, that really did happen, but that's a bit too much for people to know about you. Um, or that didn't happen at all, but let's say that because that's going to pull a big laugh. Um, and like, like for me here, I do comedy a lot for people who don't have children. So I understand that they're like, what? It's a very different audience here, right? Cause yeah, we do this where we, we don't have the, the married couple. I mean, you know, right. most shows, me and Adri, we're the only married couple there. You've made references to it. Like, yeah, you right. guys are like the only married couple in Saigon. And they're great. Almost. I love you, Adri. <laughs> but um, yes, we're very different to what you'd maybe have in, the, in America or Scotland where you'd have maybe a more um, broader audience, whereas here it's mostly single or unmarried people between 20 and 35 mm-hmm. who come to shows, right? Yeah. So um, for all of you judgmental people without children, you think that I'm a horrible mother and that I do things to my children that are inhumane and wrong. And I get it because you have no idea what the hell of parenting is. And you've had people say this to you, right? Yes, yeah. I have. I have. Uh, I, I had a guy come up to me once and he was like, so how does it feel to be known as a bad mom in Saigon? And I was just like, dude, are you serious right now? Um, but on the other side of that, I've done those same jokes for people with children. And they die because we've all had those thoughts. Like you have that thought just like, well, it's very different I don't, I don't want to hurt you. But if I did, this is the way that I would do it. And if, I mean, if you want, if people have this idealistic view of children as being these like innocent little creatures who are just, you know, these special little beings and they're a gift from God and whatever they poop. And they eat all of your food and they contribute nothing to your life except for an occasional smile. But mostly they just bitch and moan about a lot of stuff that they can't control at all. And it's cool. They have no, it's not cool. They have no control over their emotions. And it's your job to take that like bag of cells and make them into a fully formed functional productive human which is a a humongous responsibility and if you think that god at one point doesn't look down on us and think no maybe not you don't know what parenting is about that's it well i love that you get the big laughs if you do it to a crowd of parents right or even if there's some parents because of course it's so different for them because what you're saying they'll be able to relate but when you're doing this to an audience in saigon when that kind of demographic that i just described they have no connection to that. And then so they're hearing you say, hearing it at face value, maybe. And then that's going to be their reactions. Maybe you need a disclaimer or something like that. No, I'm joking. No, I think, I think that most people are 
bright enough to get it. And I think that those few people who are offended by what I say are those few people who are offended by everything. Um, Either they're just so sheltered and close-minded that they can't distinguish reality versus joke, or um, that they're so idealistic that they can't see that, of course, I don't want to hurt my children. Like, I I don't want to do that. And to be fair, those people will never know me as a person. They see me on stage for five to 15 minutes or whatever, and they form their opinion about, about me as a person. And I don't care. I will never see those people again. Um, they do not pay my bills. They're not going to babysit my horrible children. So, you know, whatever. Like, it, it doesn't matter to me at all. Um, it, I would say it's like, if you've ever been in a relationship, and I guess most adults can relate to this. If you've ever been in a relationship with somebody and it's going south, it's going sour. And you have those thoughts about like, and you, you maybe may, may not ever say them out loud. But you have those thoughts about, like, if they were just not breathing anymore, this would be a lot easier. Parenting is that every day. I think it's important to talk about parenting in a real, real life basis. And parents, other parents do resonate with that. Mm-hmm. And once you've gone through that experience, you know, you resonate with that on, on you know, varying degrees and levels. Um, but I, I do think it's important to talk about, talk about it with people who don't have children because they do have this like idea that like parenting is great all the time. It's not, it's hard and you don't get paid for it. And there are no vacation days. You can't take time off. You can have the flu and your kid will be like, why are you vomiting? I'm hungry. Like, oh, it doesn't go away. But I mean, it's rewarding and, it, and it's great. And, and when you see, it puts your life in perspective. So the other big part about your comedy, when you're not talking about being a terrible mom, is, <laughs> is, uh, is sick, right? Thanks for listening to episode six, part one with Angie the Diva. We've got part two coming up next week, so make sure you look out for that. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen. You can get your podcast on the website, 7millionbikes.com, or on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and you're looking forward to part two next week. As always, thanks to Lewis Wright for composing the theme tune for the episode, which, uh, as I've said before, gets more positive feedback than the podcast itself. So thank you to Lewis for making an unbelievable piece of music. And also thanks to Lane Wynn for helping me design the cover art that you can see everywhere. But most of all, thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I, can hope, you can, I hope you can listen again next week. Cheers. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, You may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. 
These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>